Right, so this is episode 83 then, and um very pleased to be doing another one of these so quickly. I'd like to get into a bit more of a regular routine. It's weird, like, podcasting, like, sometimes you feel really inspired and you've got loads of ideas, and then, like, when life kicks off a bit, it, you know, it sort of blocks those pathways a bit, but things are starting to balance out here, and, um yes, yeah, so it's great to be doing a few more regular podcasts, and I've managed to catch Pete Fletcher at a time when he's not looking at million dollar properties or <laughs> trying to fix his own floor or something like that so how are you doing pete you all right yeah man i'm good but yeah i do have an update though so i was telling you how uh, we were looking at this property in raleigh here just outside the main city and uh the, the backstory of it real quickly is there's this really nice location but it's an old house there's really old couple that live there They've lived there for their whole lives. And um, the, the woman passed away like six months ago. So this elderly gentleman was getting out of this house and moving to the beach and just basically, you know, his wife left him six months or not left him. You know, she passed away six months ago. Yeah, yeah. So he, you know, sat, you know, he was devastated and he's selling the house. So we were supposed to close this Monday. He died. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Like he... <laughs> I don't, I'm not laughing at his death. I'm laughing at more like the, the like, oh, man, that must be an absolute nightmare. Yeah, it is a bit of a nightmare. Uh, and it's it's sad because, you know, the real the seller's telling us that he was devastated from the loss of his wife. So they, they really feel like he, he had no sickness. He essentially like died of a broken heart. But uh, yeah, but now we're going to have to try and work with his son, his only the only survivor, mm. to see if we can buy this house. So yeah, anyway, my life is always fun. Always, That's always a... a <laughs> That's a great jovial way to start the podcast. <laughs> yeah, death. So anyway, <laughs> oh man, that's re- that's really sad, isn't it? It's kind of it's got a couple of elements to it. Though. I mean, it's really sad for him and his family, and then it. I mean, it's a must cause a logistical nightmare when when you're in the middle of trying to try to buy something like that. But um, yeah, um, yeah, not 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 the greatest note to start the podcast on. But there we go. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, on to, on to more light-hearted, refreshing news, <laughs> potentially. Uh, sorry for um, crashing uh, the beginning oh, no, of the podcast. That's, that's absolutely fine, man. That's absolutely fine. But yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about the um, the change of venue that we've had for the Badlands launch show in Leeds, which is really cool because it's, it's sold out. Hyde Park Book Club sold out, so... Uh, Jack Simpson, the guy who owns uh, the book club and Iger, uh, basically suggested, why don't we move it to Iger? We, you know, potential to sell more tickets, more space, more flexibility, um, because it was starting to become a bit of an issue in terms of working out how we were going to display the art properly and stuff like that. And that was causing Ross uh, Ross and Nicola lots of headaches and yeah. myself yeah. as well, thinking, how is that going to work in a in like a smaller environment? And we try to bounce ideas around, but moving it to Iger, it just... It it's like so much more flexible. Um, it's like an easier place to access, or certainly from my point of view anyway. And I know that place inside out, which is great because I've never been to the book club. So it's not like I could even visualize how things were going to be set out and how we display the art. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's also great because it's Iger and, you know, it's uh, it was pretty much home to the music. I mean, after Soundworks flooded and we were, in fact, we moved out of there before it flooded, but either way, um, Iger was the music's home for a long time. And um, as 
as I said in my tweet, we we started there when it was literally just one room that had been built in like this these vast industrial units. Like this, in, right in the middle, there was like one live room and then like a control room, and that's all it consisted of at that stage. And that was our permanent rehearsal space. All the gear was set up there all the time. Do you know what I mean? We just rock up and usually do one or two hours and then go home. <laughs> Nice. Which was, which was kind of what we did all. I mean, we were a nightmare in trying to get to rehearse for tours and stuff like that. We'd literally just go run through set once and then go, yeah, we're going home. <laughs> but I mean, to be fair with us, it was like, it was never hard. Do you know what I mean? Like we were, we were like so good live and we played that much that, it, you know, it was always just a case of a little bit of brushing off a few cobwebs maybe, but, you know, we were never like a workaholic band that were in at eight in the morning and leaving at eight at night. I mean, you can overdo things anyway, but... Did you ever yeah, create I, stuff in that studio? Like, are there any songs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, actually, that's a good point. Did we actually create stuff in that studio? That's a very good point. We certainly develop things because, I mean, that's an interesting conversation in itself, really, which I think we touched on when we did the Strength in Numbers episode with Rob. Um, but I don't think we ever really dived down into... I mean, just touching on it, I think we covered in that episode that me and Rob were effectively writing in my bedroom and sort of writing on Pro Tools and coming yeah. up with the tunes there, working with sequences and drum machines and stuff to, to build to build something up and then, you know, putting a song over that. But yeah, what we then did, obviously, was go down to Iger um, and play them as a band. Do you know what I mean? Because it, it, it's a situation I'm having now with Badlands, really, in, in trying to work out, okay, so we've got this re- I've got this record, but how am I going to do it live? Um, it was very much the the same with strength in numbers in terms of how that record came about. And yeah, so once we'd sort of conceptualized the ideas and like got a demo, we go play it live with the other lads and that you know, that always took things on a level. Um, do you know what I mean? In terms of making it more than music and the other lads putting their spin on things. Um so yeah, so we, we did develop stuff there. And I think I think Ghost Stands might have been written in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, Iger now is, it's amazing. Do you know what I mean? It's got a, it's got, well, I think it's got like a couple of venue rooms. It's got like a really big one. And then like, uh, the one that I'm doing, which is a bit smaller, that's like 250. Um, but then it's got all these myriad of practice rooms, awesome practice rooms and stuff. It's really, really great setup. And they have a lot of gigs on there, a lot of club nights and things. So yeah, man, it's a, it's a really great setup. And of course, that's where we did all the rehearsals, um, for live at Temple use them as well so there's something in there in terms of like you know the symmetry of of, of me playing there for my first gig when it, it was you know sort of our spiritual and actual home for for quite a long time yeah and um, so yeah that's that's great and that means that more people can come along um that's also the place where the guy walked in on you guys when you on like that, your first rehearsal and was like you guys are either the best parody of the music or i'm losing my mind yeah. <laughs> oh, god i will never forget that i mean that guy had some balls as well man because that <laughs> That just really isn't the dumb thing to just walk in or like someone else's practice. You know what I mean, when you when you shut that practice room door, it's very rare that it opens unless one of us goes out. So for it to have just opened and that guy come in, but yeah, you could see straight away the guy was genuine. You know, I think it was just one of those moments where he was probably thinking, well, it's either now or never, and I'm gonna kick myself if oh, yeah. if I don't do it. So I'm gonna do it. So he he sacrificed a little bit of. Um, you know what the hell is this guy doing to to clarify that it was actually us? But that, you know, like that that little thing was like that. It was really cool. 
you know what I mean? And to see the excitement on that lad's face and, you know, listen to it, I'm so glad that I caught it on camera as well and uh, was able to go back and just edit that clip and put it on there. Yeah. But that was like a confidence boost. Do you know what I mean? Confidence boost. Someone was like excited about seeing us there um, because I think we all suffered that, that same sort of imposter syndrome where we never really... So, well, sort of, especially nowadays and towards the end of the band, we didn't quite believe in ourselves possibly in the same way that we did on the first and second records. Um, so that was that was, uh, that was was a really nice surprise. But yeah, that's going to be really good. I mean, obviously, like, I hope to see quite a lot of the music fans there and stuff. And it's going to be a really good night, man. Um, you know, meet and greet, uh, live Q&A and then playing the gig and then DJs and all that stuff. And yeah, and the art's going to be on display. So I'm really looking forward to people getting an opportunity to see the art up close. Um, I think Ross is terrified, but that's <laughs> that's fine. So am I to a degree. But you know, I pulled I pulled off Temple News, albeit with the rest of the band. But in terms of like my part to play, I pulled it off, and I should be more than confident about going into this place. And I tell you what, like the more I practice, the, the fucking this honestly, it's sounding amazing. And that was one thing I was really apprehensive about when I sort of booked this gig. It was like, you know, am I going to be able to get it as impressive as it is on the record? But yeah, yeah it yeah. is like, honestly, it's fucking sounding awesome. And I'm really getting into it. And a little update, I am playing it entirely stood up with no problems. A little bit, a few wrist pains and thumb pains, because honestly, I have, I have a habit of like writing songs with chords that are just like, well, who the hell in the right mind would come up with that chord? Like you can't even play it. You need six hands to play that chord, and you know. But I, I've already touched on that when you're writing, sitting down. Obviously, the you, the ergonomics of your body and body mechanics are totally different. So you know, you can you can play things sat down. That when you stood up, you're like, oh shit, I need an extra two two foot on my arm to play standing <laughs> up. But anyway, yeah, um, that's all good. I'm really excited about that. And of course, put another snippet out this week as well. And we haven't actually talked about the snippets on the podcast, uh, although we haven't done that many since the snippets have been going out. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a, a great way to give people like a little bit of a, a sneak peek of the tracks. Um, do you know what I mean? And like Ross has done something quite cool with the art and like a, a bit of a sort of old film vibe with the real starting and stopping, just like Dream Twister video, which I think is a really nice touch. Um, and yeah, it's just to give people a little bit of a flavour of some of the other tracks and um, just try and get people, uh, you know, generally excited about it. I've had a few comments from people sort of saying, oh, come on, man, you know what I mean? It, it's out in a couple of weeks and, and you've, you've only put one full track out and yeah man like it's it's difficult you know like I, I agree do you know what i mean i'd love to you have to bear in mind though it's an eight track record so it, it, it's kind of difficult to to put too many things out but not so much that as well man it, it's it's a time and resources thing more than anything um do you know what i mean this whole project is is kind of me trying to use the resources that I've got in the, in the best way that I can. Um, and that, that includes people as well. Do you know what I mean? Cause all this sort of stuff, it, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes skill. And like, I, I consider myself really lucky to have got the dream twisted video and for, for Ross and Nicola to have had the time they had to dedicate to that. And again, like, uh, you know, talking about resources, um, they're such great people, you know, some people that have sat down there and demanded loads of money before they even started on that stuff but they're just driven by such passion and um yeah i'm really lucky to be working with people like that but it does come to a point where you know because we did want to do another full video 
for another full song. Um, but unfortunately, it's it's just it's it's not worked out that way. So that that's kind of where it plays into trying to take the best advantage of the resources that are available to me at the time. Do you know what I mean? So this 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 was kind of this was kind of the only thing that made sense in terms of like the time scale we've had left. And obviously Ross and Nicola, uh, not only have full-time jobs, they've got lives and they've got things that are going on in their lives, which means that they can't spend every waking minute sort of dedicated to this project. Uh, absolutely naturally. Um, so, so as a result, anyway, yeah, that, you know, I do understand when people, I, I want to see more, I want to hear more. I'd love to think that's being driven by intrigue and interest. And that's, absolutely fine otherwise you know if it's being driven by some sort of entitlement then you can fuck off you know (laughs) (laughs) but if it's if it's purely like oh man i want to see i want to hear more that's absolutely fine and you know the the general idea is that you pre-order a physical man do you know what i mean that's I know people are like, well, times have changed and that. And yeah, I I do. I I can see that. But times haven't changed necessarily for me. Do you know what I mean? And like, I'm still really into the whole physical thing, be it CD and be it vinyl. And yeah, there are people who like, I don't have a CD player. I don't have a vinyl player. Trust me. You are going to be covered. Do you know what I mean? We are going to be doing. The, the, there are going to be digital versions available, but it's difficult. Do you know what I mean? Because a, a lot of new bands who are doing that sort of thing, just everything on Spotify, everything on streaming platforms, they have other other avenues of. Well, how do you put it? Really, making a living, I suppose you could say. Do you know what I mean? Sort of playing lots of shows, the ability to sell lots of merch. And you have to you have to consider the fact that I, I know I've said this many times, but there is no big company behind this. There's no teams of people. Um, do you know what I mean? There's no marketing or anything like that. I, I, I'm doing it uh, with the blessed help of, of Ross and Nicola and uh, Tony Perry, who's the music manager. And as I say, just kind of trying to make best I can of of the people that I've got at my disposal that I can, you know, call favours from and things like that, doing my best. But yeah, with a project like this, certainly from my point of view, it is about trying to to get people to engage with those old school uh, physical um, platforms like, like CD, like vinyl. But as I said, there will be digital opportunities, but it's not going to be as simple as it's going to be all over Spotify and iTunes the moment it's going to be released because, you know, that's going to be, that that's detrimental to to me at this point. And I know people are probably sat there going, eh, why? I don't get that. But um, do you know what I mean? Because because this is all coming out of my own pocket, uh, the, the, there's like a, a need to, well, cover costs, really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And and I'm not sat here being like, well, I want as much money as I can. Do you know, it's got nothing to do with that. It's more about the costs that I've got and the people who've helped me and the people who haven't asked for anything that have helped me. And the amount, I'd love to be able to give them something back. Do you know what I mean? And in my position with no record deal or anything like that and no big power group behind me, uh, I've got to just do things the the best way I can and feel my way through it. And very much like since I appeared back on the scene, it's like a freewheeling sort of vibe, man, just kind of rolling with circumstances and just trying to make the best of things, really. So, yeah, but... It is. It, I, I'm really uh, pleased with the snippets that we have got, and I do think it gives, um, you know, I do think it gives a, a flavour enough of the album for you to think whether you want to then go and pre-order it. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, well, I think a lot of I think it's easy um, f- as a consumer to just get you know you, compared to all these other bands that are out mm-hmm. there these you know these machines with full teams yeah. behind them. I think it's pretty easy to kind of lose sight of that. And so when someone that you like who's produced really great stuff in the past, you know, and these really nice videos and all these different things, it's I think it's pretty easy to just be like, all right, come on, give me give me all that stuff. Give me I want all yeah. I want all the videos. I want everything. I want links to everything. <laughs> it's yeah. like okay, yeah. Yeah, this is not that. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, um, but you know, I think I think the majority of people understand, and I think my my close fans really understand. Um, it's it's just the way this project is playing out, man. Do you know what I mean? It it is more geared towards the physicals. Um, as I say, there will be digital versions, but it's not just going to be as simple as you can access it through your your Spotify for your regular Spotify subscriptions. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm not being funny, but that sort of thing does not support small independent artists. Yeah, and I've opened I've I've opened quite a lot of people's eyes with these conversations because I've had direct um, communication from people saying oh, I don't get it, I want it on that, and then it's like, do you consider the fact that, um, and again, not wanting to sound entitled or or expectant, but it's like, do you consider the fact that you're not giving anything to to, to me and the people that have created this in that scenario yeah i understand the convenience of you paying you whatever it is 8.99 a month for spotify i don't know i don't have a spotify account um, but i can understand the convenience and getting used to like that sort of well i just pay the subscription fee i get access to all this music do you know what i mean i think it makes it makes people fall into that sense of what you were just talking about Pete, in terms of you expect it all and you expect it now and you expect it as part of something that you already pay. And, you know, art's never been like that, man, back in the day. And I don't give a shit how much people are like, times have changed. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. I'm sure they flipping well have for people who are in different scenarios with big power companies behind them. But, yeah. you know what I mean? In in this scenario, that's that's just not how it's playing out. Um, it's funny to me how that's difference between it's there's a difference between the the, um, the movie industry and the music industry. So, for example, if you asked me to go to Blockbuster and rent a movie, I'll never watch another movie again. Like if I had to go buy or put some a VCR into my cassette player to play a movie, I'm just not going to watch a movie ever again. But music's different. It's like actually appealing. Like I. For every artist that I love, of course, I listen to it on Spotify or Apple Play or whatever, but I also have to have the album because it's actually more enjoyable. If I'm just running, you know, if I'm down the street, I'm going to play it on my on my car or whatever, then it's, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll play it on Spotify. But when I'm home and I'm relaxing and I want to enjoy it, I open the album. It's an experience. You know, I open it. I look at the pictures. I read it. I listen to it cover to cover. It's a totally different experience. So I I think there's a lot of people that truly appreciate music that totally get that. That's you're not giving the artist anything if you're just listening to it on Spotify. Other, you know, that's they don't get much from that. But but on the at the same time, as a as a consumer, you get more from it when you actually Mm. enjoy it as a as a you know as the way it was intended to be enjoyed. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it 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 does it well be as relevant when you you know if you're talking about bands like Coldplay or Foo Fighters or any big bands it's not like they're going down to a vinyl plant and getting the wallet out and going oh Christ this is going to sting but there you go do you know what I mean like that's all done by record company it's all paid for by record company and yeah there's recouping and things like that but it's just not the same game man and like back back in the day with the music it wouldn't have mattered so much it wouldn't have mattered at all because again we you know we were part of a a powerhouse conglomerate of um of a big company that is covering all this stuff you know i've never i've never been to a a, a vinyl production facility and 
and, and and as I say, got my money out or or gone to a CD production facility, got my money out, all this sort of stuff. You know, even even down to getting stickers made. It, it's totally DIY. It's totally DIY. And that is the difference. That is the difference. So when you're buying a physical, you are supporting the project. You're supporting me. You're supporting the people involved because it enables me to give them something back. So, yeah, you know, I don't want to harp on about it too much, but um, I have had quite a few people saying, well, I want it all on Spotify or stuff like that. And, yeah, I, I'm, I suppose I'm just giving uh, people a little bit of context in that sense. Um, there will be digital versions available on release, but it won't be through your um, usual streaming places. Now, it might eventually go on those places, but not at the start, no. Because yeah. that, you know what I mean? It just doesn't, I can't do all this and being a whole man. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, like I've always said, I'm not doing it for money because, it, you know, it's a niche project anyway. It's not like there's going to be loads of money in it, but I, I would love to kind of be able to get the money back. So I'm not left in a big hole yeah. uh, effectively, but the, you know, the joy and cathartic nature of actually being able to release this record is in itself payment, obviously, but people have got to live, man. People have got to eat, you know what I mean? Uh, and especially when I've moved into like a small flat and all that sort of stuff, it's, it, it is what it is basically. But yeah, I hope that gives people some context into, into um, how that's all working. But yeah, so um, the rest of this episode, I wanted to kind of focus a little bit more on, well, I mean, I hope some people don't find this boring. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not just going to be geeking off about guitar model names and stuff like now, stuff like that now. All this will be, will have the context of stories and other things that kind of happened along the way. Um, but yeah, I wanted to follow on from last week's episode where I started talking about uh, the Les Paul, the famous gold top Les Paul that I play. And, you know, the stories behind that, it kind of got me thinking that, you know, for people who are interested in that sort of thing, there's 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 a lot that happened before signing a record deal and getting that equipment budget and, and being able to to walk into a vintage guitar shop and, and buy a vintage Gibson, which, as I said, I actually dreamed about. It was something that I wanted so much. But yeah, uh, I thought it might make sense to kind of go right back to the beginning, really, in terms of what inspired me to start playing guitar and all that sort of stuff, um, which... And, you know, there's there's going to be no great secret to, to what inspired me to pick up a guitar in that it was falling in, falling in love with music primarily, obviously. And I don't know whether it's something I've touched on before or that people find obvious about me, but I'm kind of, well, one word for it would be obsessive. Do you know what I mean? Once... Once that, once something captures my imagination, it becomes like a a train that's in, incredibly hard, if not impossible to stop. And if if stuff gets in my way, I find a way around it. Do you know what I mean? And you know, even even down to you know, because me and me and Stu grew up together, and yeah, Rob um, was at the same school and stuff like that, but not the same junior school. And you know, um, me and Stu were knocking about. For, well since we were incredibly young you know even doing stuff like rollerblading which we used to do back at me and Stu you know whether it was going out on bikes around the village or sort of learning how to rollerblade and then going down to what was called the rehab which was like a proper full-on skate park with like half pipes and on all that sort of stuff like grinding uh all that sort of stuff you know me and Stu got proper into that and, um, you know, in classic me fashion, I started off with, well, actually, I started off with a pretty nice pair of, a pair of uh, blades. 
and then very quickly got some super posh ones and that was all we used to do man do you know what i mean we'd be like doing all sorts of trick moves down some of main roads and kipaks and getting getting beeped off the road and then you'd get like you know one of the cul-de-sacs would uh, have the road resurfaced and you'd be like, oh, fucking hell, like, they've had road resurfaced there. It's smooth as butter. Let's get down there. <laughs> you know? And then there's all those lot skating around. There's all these old people coming out of these houses, these bungalows on these cul-de-sacs, you know, telling us to clear off and stuff. And it's like, what are you on about? You've got a, night, you've got a brand new laid uh, street, man. I am all over this shit. And I'm going to wax up your curbs and that so we can grind on them as <laughs> well. But yeah, uh, somewhere along that way, um, uh, yeah, I, I, dis- I discovered music in a really big way. And yeah, I think a lot of that was, I- I've touched on it before, my family were, were all incredibly into music, different genres of music. And I think really early on uh, in the YouTube videos, I, I touched on, you know, the-, the impact that Stu and Stu's taste in music and Stu's uh, parents' taste in music also played a role. Do you know what I mean? Because Stu was into like a lot more heavier stuff than was being played uh, anywhere in my house. Do you know what I mean? Uh, my dad mad into blues and Fleetwood Mac. My mum mad into Elton John and that sort of stuff. And then my brothers sort of one really into uh, Brit pop and that whole scene. And then my other brother into more sort of alternative music like Radiohead and stuff like that. But there was none of that sort of Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath. Um, do you know what I mean? But me, me and Stu. Uh, we really like Green Day, do you know what I mean? And I, and I think Green Day are actually probably one of the, you know, Dookie specifically, that record. I mean, Christ, that record must have got millions of kids playing guitar. Oh, Absolutely yeah. millions. And it is a great fucking record, do you know what I mean? And yeah, me and Stu would get together in the music block at school and as we were sort of tentatively learning instruments, we'd, you know, try to play a basket case and all those sorts of things. And yeah, you know, I got a big smile on my face now talking about that because that that's the sort of stuff we used to do and that's what got us into this whole thing and you know stew on a bass that only had two strings me on a guitar that only had five or four and then you snap one and there'd be three for six months because no one could be asked or had the money to put new strings on them you know what schools are like but yeah i mean so it it kind of got to a point where I was trying. I was sort of trying to think back to all the guitars that I've had and the circumstances through which I actually got them. But as I'm kind of explaining it, it, it was all kind of like a, a a snowball, really. And I think the the great thing about having great parents, great supportive parents, is they support you in your interesting endeavours, which is precisely what my parents did in spades. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, like they were brilliant in that sense. Um, I was very, very lucky. Uh, to have parents that saw fit to to nurture things like that do you know what i mean you show a bit of an interest and you 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 keep at it and do you know what i mean i used to i used to get bought guitars quite a lot to be fair and amps and things like that and um yeah there was another lad who was quite influential actually as well um one of mine and Stu's mates called uh, dan Aykroyd. not the dan Aykroyd. yeah i know blah wow, blah blah who knew? yeah <laughs> But yeah, a really cool kid called Dan Aykroyd. I'll never forget he had a beautiful Epiphone um, flame, sort of flame sunburst, uh, Les Paul. Like, and anyone who knows about Epiphone specifically, or even Gibsons actually, you get good ones and bad ones down to how they look and how they play. And my God, he had a good one, did Dan Aykroyd. Absolutely stunning. But it wasn't just the guitar he had that played such an influential um, part on me. It was... He had like a Zoom five. Was it a Zoom five hundred five, which was one of the smaller end multi effects units, and that 
was the thing you know i'd started to tentatively learn guitar and as i say you know green day songs and then you'd learn some oasis songs and there was another big record as well like therapy trouble gum which i don't might be something you're not aware of pete i don't know but it was um a record that me and Stu were into quite heavy and uh that was that uh, and also the manics at that time manic street preachers that, that they played quite a big role in getting me playing guitar and dan Aykroyd was a massive manic street preachers fan and uh also a great guitar player he was like he started before me and he was better than me um now granted i might have started i, I might have overtook him <laughs> that's kind of the story of my life really do you know what i mean like and people have always got irritated me about with me about that they kind of teach me summer and within two or three weeks i'm better than them and then they get pissed off do you know what i mean but yeah i'll never forget him having this zoom 505 and as i say you've got the because I'll touch a little bit on the first guitar I got, which was, uh, it was actually a, a classical acoustic guitar, which I imagine for the majority of people who learn guitar, that's where you start, really. It's probably the best way to start as well, because them things are absolutely brutal on your hands and on your fingers. And it's kind of like, if you can start on on a classical if you can get the basics and be able to, you know, to to fret a note and hold the string down and get it to ring out, that was like that was like a massive achievement because those things are dogs to play. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I actually remember, and I, I nearly bought one off Rob, actually. Well, before before the band had even been conceptualized or anything like that. Um, just as I started playing guitar, um, Rob had one that he was willing to sell me. And I actually went round to his house with the money because my mum my and dad said, well, yeah, all right, you can have it, here's the money. I went round to buy it from him and I knocked on his door. I'll never forget him answering the door and saying, oh, sorry, mate, my mum and dad said I'm not allowed to sell it. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, right, okay. I got it, man, because that thing was really nice. I really fell in love with that guitar. Um, and I walked home and they were like, oh, he's not allowed to sell it. And luckily my mum knew a lady who, I'm not sure if her son was a guitarist or she was herself but she agreed to sell me her classical so that's that's what i started on started on a classical guitar before i had an electric or anything like that and as i say while i had this classical and i'm learning you've got dan Aykroyd over here with his beautiful sunburst epiphone les paul that i absolutely fell in love with and not only that as i keep trying to touch on it but the effects pedal that he had that was the thing that really really sort of blew my mind do you know what I mean? And not even down to just like a little bit of reverb or a little bit of delay. You can do all sorts of shit with multi-effects units. Um, do you know what I mean? And, to, and uh, we'll get to it in a sec, but uh, there's some questions on Twitter that I did ask for last night. And uh, one of those was from Chris Parker, actually, who was saying, how did you make the sounds for new instrumental? And I just thought that was a good segue into that because you know you have the you have the standard reverb and delay which just adds a little bit of texture but then you have crazy shit like ring modulators and whammy pedals and um you know octave pitch dives and stuff like that and that's the sort of shit where you know and that is all over new instrumental do you know what i mean that's what new instrumental is ring mods whammy pedals just going absolutely nuts with those but yeah so there were there i was with my acoustic and there's dan Aykroyd and his uh his zoom 505 and like he used to love playing manic songs so i'd, I'd go around to his on a weekend and we'd sit there trying to work out solos and parts from these songs and smashing pumpkins actually that was probably my um sort of well that's probably how i discovered pumpkins and especially siamese dream i remember it with dan Aykroyd who played me mayonnaise for the first time which is literally still one 
favorite fucking songs ever. Absolutely incredible. Do you know what I mean? I think while most people were out listening to Nirvana and shit like that, I were like obsessed with Siamese Dream. And don't get me wrong, I love Nirvana, um, but it, it, some, there was a little bit more musicality to the pumpkins, I think. Do you know what I mean? Rather than just that raw attitude. I fucking love raw attitude, don't get me wrong. But yeah, the pumpkins had that little bit more musicality and sort of a lot more musical interest for me uh, with songs like Mayonnaise and like the, the the solo in that and the sounds that are used on the solo in that. All, all, all stuff that absolutely blew my mind. And yeah, we'd spend all day at his house listening to songs and trying to work them out. And then I'd, I remember I'd walk home back through the village because Dan lived right on the other side of the village. I'd walk all the way home and all the songs that we'd been listening to while I were walking home, I'd be singing them in my head, but replacing all lyrics with my own lyrics. Like and that was that was kind of the first time I started writing songs. I think in, in a way because yeah, I was doing it over melodies from other people's songs. But and it wasn't like a conscious thing. My brain always does that to me. It just does shit. And you're like, why are you doing that? But anyway, do you know what I mean? Like by the end that I'd walked home, I'd have all these like lyrics and things that I were like, well, maybe one day I'll get to use those. Um, so you yeah, think the pumpkins be- were better than Nirvana. Well, it's not a case of whether I think the pumpkins were better than Nirvana, but I'd sit down and listen to the pumpkins before Nirvana, without doubt, yeah. So, How yeah, I guess. You? Like, okay. okay. <laughs> well, opinions are like assholes, mate. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's fucking got one. Yeah. Um, Nirvana, as I say, were. I don't see them. I don't see them as similar at all, uh, be other than. Well, they're not even from the same fucking place, are they? One's from Seattle, they live a lot from Chicago. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, that's the trouble with pigeonholing bands and pigeonholing scenes. You know, like the whole grunge thing. I can't see any similar. I mean, maybe if you go back to like Gish and stuff like that, it's a little bit. You might be able to draw more comparisons, but I don't really know. But you've thrown me off me a kilter Sorry. there, Pete. So fuck you. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. It's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I quickly became obsessed with getting an electric guitar. Do you know what I mean? And um, that was something that became an obsession for me after playing with Dan Aykroyd, Les Paul, and getting better on my acoustic. And I think like any nurturing parents, uh, my parents, you know, quite bluntly were like, well, yeah, you're sticking with your acoustic, you're playing it loud, you're getting better, you know, you, you know, we'll get you an electric which obviously I was mad excited about. And I remember, um, I've been trying to remember who it was actually. And it was a lad called Simon. And I, f- for the life of me, I cannot remember it. I can see him, but I cannot remember his second name. But he had, and I can't even remember what the what, who, what the make was. I think it was one of these sort of off-brand ones. But um, he was selling a guitar anyway. And it was this black guitar with like fucking flames all over it and a big fucking demon head <laughs> at one side. Do you know what I mean? Wow. And like, yeah, I want thrilled by by all that stuff. But I was like, well, he's selling it and he, it's not that much money. So I wonder if I could convince my parents to buy me it. And um, I remember borrowing it. He actually agreed to lend me it and let me take it home and play it for a bit. And I'll never forget, my mum and dad had an, an alarm clock in the bedroom. I say it's an alarm clock, like a, li- a, a little stereo slash alarm clock. But it had like a a little karaoke function where you could plug in a little mini jack into it and uh, put a microphone in. So me being me, just thought, yeah, I'm just going to try that, but I'm going to plug the guitar in instead. So, you know, put the mini jack on the end of this jack and plugged into the alarm clock. And there I am wow. sort of, and it worked. You know what I mean? Like it sounded absolutely horrible. Although as horrible as it sounded, I'd love to be able to do that now with that exact alarm clock and use that as a sound on a track. 
Do you know yeah. what I mean? Just yeah. some fucking absolutely naff sound that has just got no business being anywhere. Um, but yeah, that guitar was fucking horrible, man. With the big demon head on it. <laughs> I remember bringing it home and my mum and dad being like, oh, all right, so that's the guitar you want to buy. <laughs> and again, in my head, I was just like, well, it could be plastic fucking dog shit. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I just want a fucking electric guitar, man. And this seems like the an easy, practical way of, of getting one. Uh, I didn't end up buying that. And I can't actually remember why unless... I mean, probably in actual fact, I, uh, my parents probably saw how into it I was getting and thought, yeah, we can do better than that, which will be my parents through and through, especially my dad. Um, amazing in that sense, my dad, because like I say, just that that sort of, I don't know, um, well, just nurturing your your child's interests and yeah. not doing half-ass cheapskate wage, you know what I mean, where you try and do the bare minimum to get them what they want or whatever and you know what I mean? That I have a lot to be thankful for in that sense because um, that just allowed my snowball to keep rolling. And so I didn't buy the Demon guitar. And my pe- I rem- my first electric was a three pickup uh, Epiphone Black Beauty Les Paul, which was f- absolutely gorgeous. Do you know what I mean? And I was so excited about that because I'd fallen in love with Dan Aykroyd's, although I did really love the Sunburst vibe. And it's weird, actually, because... I've still not had a sunburst Les Paul and after all these years of falling in love with that one and I even on occasion considered just going and buying an Epiphone well I used to just going like buying an Epiphone just to have like a nice sunburst one do you know what I mean? Well Giant Frying Pan on Twitter asked that uh, one of the questions he asked was was there a certain guitar that got away uh, back in the day that you either played with I'm guessing this one with the flames is not the one that got away (laughs) (laughs) No No, not quite. I mean, that acoustic of Rob's might have been one that kind of got away in the early days because that thing was pretty, man, and it had, like, gold strings. They were wound in, like, a gold wire, and it just looked really fucking nice. It looked really nice, although the one I eventually got was really nice as well. But in terms of guitars that got away, it would probably be only that one in New York that I think I talked about on the YouTube video where we were in New York and I had gone to this vintage guitar shop seeing this guitar but I'm having that because it wasn't particularly expensive and we had a little bit of money at that time. Do you know what I mean? Because we were touring so much. It's not like we were ever at home and had a chance to spend this money we were sort of gradually bringing in. But yeah, I, I, I was in that shop and I didn't have my wallet. So being an idiot, I thought, well, I'll just wander back to the hotel, pick up my wallet and wander back in there. And um, yeah, when I got back, someone was in the process of buying it. And it <sighs> pisses, pisses me off now because all I had to do was go, uh, I want this. Can you reserve it for me, please? I'll be 10 minutes and I'm going to yeah. go get my wallet. And in the 10 minutes it took me to get my flipping wallet, this guy, and I remember I remember going up to him and going, look, I know what you've just paid for it. I'll buy it off you now for like $200 more. And he was like, really? And I was like, yes. And he was like, well, it's a really nice guitar though. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I want it. Do you know what I mean? Um, but that that's probably the only one that actually got away. So although there was another one in Australia, um, like a proper, genuine, what were it, 56 Les Paul? Or were it a 1950? It were an early Les It was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. I think I stood in that shop for about three hours staring at that. It was about $10,000. Aussie, Aussie dollars, though. So I think back in them days, that would have been about five grand. Obviously, still an absolute fortune. 
But again, in the position we were in back then, it was something I would have been able to, but I'd, I'd have had to have eaten fucking bread and rice for God knows how long, but I'd have had, you know, such a, an amazing guitar. But no, I didn't buy that. So yeah, anyway, after after my parents having seen this, um, this dreadful demon guitar anyway, and seeing how much I was into it and stuff, they, they decided to, 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 to get me uh, an Epiphone Les Paul Black Beauty. For Christmas, I'm pretty sure it was, which was just, I mean, like, I can feel the excitement even now, sort of, that I had back then. Honestly, absolutely sick with excitement for that. And uh, it, they ordered it and it came early and they kept it under the bed for, under their bed for ages. And I just <laughs> remember thinking, oh man, that guitar is under there, like resisting all urges to to sneak a peek. But I'm afraid the urge got the better of me in the oh, end. Oh no. Well, no, it's all right because it was in there in its case. So and I, I thought, right, I'm not pulling it out. I'm not pulling it out to have a proper look. But I remember being at, was it in its case or was the case separate? And this was in like a cardboard thing. Can't quite remember anyway, but I remember just being able to edge enough of the packaging up to just be able to see. It was completely shadowed and I couldn't really see it, but I could just see a bit of it, if you know what I mean. And that was kind of just enough to... um do you know what I mean? To be like, oh man, I've sneaked a peek at that, but absolutely, I mean, I, I loved that guitar. Do you know what I mean? Um, it was amazing to have a proper electric. That, and whilst it wasn't, like I said, whilst it wasn't like a sunburst one, uh, but that's, you know, Black Beauty is the only coming black with the gold hardware and the three pickups. And um, did it have a tremolo arm on it as well? Pretty sure it did. I'm pretty sure it had the full Bigsby, which is like uh, if you ever see a Les Paul with a tremolo arm on, that's usually what's on there, some sort of Bigsby tremolo arm. So, yeah, I, I got that guitar. And then, obviously, I was talking about the Zoom 505 that Dan Aykroyd had. Um, so I can't remember how long after I got my effects pedal. It can't have been that long. Because there's amps to talk about as well, and that's been that's been some effort trying to remember in what order I got my amps and stuff like that. But yeah, so my 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 first um, effects pedal was a Digitech RP6. I'm pretty sure, which was a really fancy sort of metal housing, sort of adenized blue. Um, it was gorgeous that thing, and that had some absolutely killer sounds in it. And that that was what I was really chasing. Do you know what I mean? I think whilst lots of people were sort of trying to learn scales and bloody doing solos out of Guns N' Roses songs and stuff <laughs> like that, I never really, I, I was more interested in getting this effects pedal, getting the guitar and uh, like messing with sounds. Do you know what I mean? And, and trying to create really sort of, well, just stuff that appealed to me. Do you know what I mean? Just sounds that appealed to me and just being creative with it and, you know, jumping forward, that's where all... Um, all my early the music riffs came from the dance. Do you know what I mean? That was, in fact, I vividly remember sitting in my bedroom with the Black Beauty and the RP6 and coming up with the dance. Um, exactly the same for Human as well. So there was what did I the, the first ones that I did on it was like the dance Human Too High. Um, what were the? I think they were the first three that I were like, oh yeah, man. Do you know what I mean? And as is the case with me, as soon as I get like a sound that really inspires me, usually the first things that I start doing are what um, are what it eventually becomes. And that was the case with Too High. Uh, and as I say, the dance and yeah, that that sort of, again, jumping slightly forward, but that, that became the whole addiction and excitement for me was 
coming up with these sounds and then like coming up with a riff that just sort of suited it and then taking it to the practice room or whatever and you just start blasting it out and other three lads join in and that that was just such a rush do you know what i mean i absolutely love that and so what did i have after that then so i had the black beauty and then i think not long after that i got a telecaster like a really nice what color was that I think it was like a blonde telecaster with like a white tortoiseshell scratch play well i think it's, i think it's like i don't know what you call white tortoiseshell but that's kind of the vibe it was it was white but it had that sort of tortoiseshell um underlying texture that you have um and i absolutely love that as well i actually built up quite a collection sort of pre-band what else did i have i had that telecaster uh and it was like that was a californian telecaster as well and like Anyone who knows that about Fenders, you have the made in different places, and that's usually the sort of tiers of them. You know what I mean? The Mexican ones are usually on the lower end, but they're still great guitars. And then you have the California and the USA ones, and you have Japanese ones. But yeah, I had that Telecaster, which I loved, but it was it it, it always kind of felt like an additional guitar rather than my main one. So I can't remember exactly how long I had that. I don't think I had that very long. I think I moved it along and got a, a Burns Marquee. I think from memory, I've just been looking on internet now to try and match up the one I had. And I'm pretty sure I had a Burns marquee uh, because I actually did work experience at a place in Leeds called Shearer's, which was like a, a music shop guitars, you know, all sorts of instruments and um, got really pally with uh, the bloke who ran the guitar department, Steve Young, who actually, when we formed the band, uh, became part of our crew for a while. Oh, wow. And yes, yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of what was enabling my guitar addiction at that point i suppose do you know what i mean because i after work experience they kept me on and i used to work saturdays there never forget that i never forget when they asked me to take some money to bank and i was like 16 or something walking through merion center with like 1800 quid on me or something like that it's like fuck it i won't trust me with this much money jesus christ <laughs> uh, but yeah what else did i have I had that burns marquee that telecaster and then I actually had a, an Epiphone ES335 as well that I got at one stage, which is like the the hollow body one. Um, I fucking love that guitar as well. Awesome guitar. Or was it a dot? It might have been an Epiphone dot, but it's still an ES335 essentially. Um, and I actually ended up selling that to, I think two, two, two of my mates from school bought it, bought it like as a joint purchase. <laughs> I don't know how that worked out in terms of who got to take it home on first <laughs> night. Um, but yeah, a lad called Liam Rutherford, who I used to go to school with, who I still talk to, actually. Um, he bought it off me. I'm pretty sure he's still got it uh, because he actually replied to that tweet and said, oh, don't forget mine. So I presume he's still got that. But yeah, I did um, get into a bit of a phase of uh, buying guitars and, well, my dad buying them for me, admittedly. But because I was sort of associated with Shearer's, I got a good discount and stuff. Um but yeah, it became a real addiction for me, did guitars and things. and. But at the heart of it still was just coming up with riffs and messing with effects pedals. That was what that was what really drove me forward. And I remember as well as like getting different guitars, um, I got a Zoom eighty eighty. And that was the effects board that I carried on through with the music. I had that like on our first tours. I had this Zoom eighty eighty. And the thing with that was it like the the power connection on that was the teeniest, tiniest, most brittle little fucking pin connector <laughs> you've ever fucking seen. 
And like I, I remember our early tours and that, I'd just be stood there playing, staring at this 8080, just thinking, fucking hell, a slight breeze could snap that bloody power cord off. And if that <laughs> happens, the gig's fucked. Do you know what I mean? But I remember being in um, the church, Kipax Church Hall, which is where we used to rehearse, knocking out all these tunes and riffs with, with Zoom 8080. And uh, I remember actually building my first full pedal board. I say building. Uh, it was just a big fucking piece of wood with like two two bits either side that to slightly angle it if you know what i mean i'm shit at describing things and then i just fucking stuck velcro all over it do you know what i mean and i velcroed the 8080 to it uh velcroed a wire pedal onto it what else did i have on that board i think that that ended up in my in my dad's shed I don't know. I don't think it'll still be there. I mean, they've moved away. Although my brother bought that house and I don't know if the shed's still there. They might have got rid of it, but it was in there for ages. It might have eventually gone to the tip, which is a bit of a sin, really, because, I mean, that thing had some history to it. Um, but where else did I want to go? I mean, amps-wise, I mean, for anyone who's interested, because um, I don't want, you know, I don't want this chat to get too sort of geeky and nerdy, but think, a le- I, my, the, was it a VC50? Where the hell has that come from? Just falling back. <laughs> to my head or was it a vc 100 a laney no a vc 50 i think my first amp was a laney vc 50 which was like actually a valve amp um which was absolutely amazing honestly that was a and that is still in the garage at the moment actually currently back where i used to live um that's still there and then i very quickly because it was the same with everything, guitars, effects, pedals, amps. I, I'm, I moved through them qu- quite rapidly. And like I said, uh, you know, my dad, uh, my parents being quite enabling in terms of letting me have these things. Uh, my, and uh, once once the band started properly and we were practicing in church hall and stuff like that, I was like, well, clearly I need a bigger amp now. I mean, look at size of this room. It's massive, even though you could hear the lady perfectly fine. <laughs> uh, I ended up getting a Hughes and Kettner head and cab like a proper stack um and i'll you know that that was amazing it's do you know what i mean it just there's something impressive about having a massive cab behind you and a head on it it was you know that amp sounded amazing as well man i had that for quite a long time um so you live pretty close to the church hall in kipax yeah. when you were younger so your parents would drive you up to the church hall because i'm not imagining you're lugging all this gear on your bicycles no, exactly. No, that was the thing. I mean, you know, we all, all our parents were brilliant in that regard because exactly like you say, do you know what I mean? We would just turn in 16, Phil would have been 17, a bit older maybe. But yeah, so our parents used to drive us up to the church hall and um, help us load in or whatever. And then they'd sit at the back and watch, do you know what I mean? So it was almost like we had a, a mini audience every week. And I'm sure when we had Rob Hurst on, he told a story about trying to get into one of those practices and Rob's dad being like, no, 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 it's serious now. You can bugger off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think that was after we'd um, done bright young things and stuff and Tim and Tony had been up and, you know, that was a brilliant thing. Like when, when Tim and Tony came up to, to see us, they came up to the church hall and in typical us fashion, I think we played him a few tunes. Uh, and then because we started playing on the actual stage and then I can't remember. And then there was obviously a proper hall in front of the stage, obviously. And I can't remember why we started practicing downstairs. But either way, we when Tim and Tony came up, we ended up just how did we make that ball? I think we made what we referred to as a violita thunderball, which is where you get loads of violita cloths and just wrap them up in gaffer tape and all sorts of other tapes. 
And I think that's what we were using as a ball and no shoes on, just socks skidding around on this uh, sports hall floor. But that's what I love about Tim and Tony. Do you know what I mean? Didn't matter all, how old they were. They they got into that game of, of footies if it were the, the real deal. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Full, full, full blooded tackles flying in. <laughs> Lots of passion being shown. Um, it's funny. I went to that church hall uh, the day before the Temple Newsom because I was in uh, in town, and uh, Michael Battier took me there, and <laughs> we we walked all around the, the 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 grounds, and we were snooping around. And this older lady came over. She was like very curious. She's like, "What are you guys doing?" Because I had a camera, and uh, oh. and uh, and Michael was like, "Oh, you know, there's a band that used to practice here," and uh, she. She's like, oh, and she opened it for us, and she let us go in, and, and we were filming. Really? I saw, the, I saw the stage, I saw the hall, and all that stuff. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Saving, oh, I didn't I'm know saving it for that. the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you. I knew you'd been. Uh, I knew Battier took you on a tour of Kipax, but I didn't realize you'd actually managed to get into the church hall. I did. Yeah, I got footage oh, wow. to prove it. Well, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, so where were we going with this then? Um, I've jumped around all over the place. Well, but that's another cool. question about those that came from also Giant Frying Pan was, did you ever have any uh, instrument tuition when you first started? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that was something I meant to cover, actually. Um, technically, I did. I think I had about, what was it? I think I had about three or four guitar lessons with a bloke. Um, a window fitter, actually, who I still see driving around Westfield Windows, it was. Um, good guitar player, man, and he had a fucking amazing amp. I do remember that. But yeah, I only had like three or four sessions with him. And I think, like a lot of things, man, like I, I sort of progressed so fast in terms of what I wanted to be doing. And I think he was very much like trying to teach me scales and things and I mean, much in me fashion, I was shit at like doing stuff like homework and, and that sort of stuff. And like rather than, so he'd give me things to practice, but rather than practice those things, I'd be off making sounds. Do you know what I mean? Or did I even have the, I'm trying to remember now whether whether I had those sessions with my acoustic or whether I went with my electric. I mean, you know, that it is a long time ago now, but I I did only have a few lessons with him and I can't remember exactly why I stopped, but. I don't know. It's a bit like when I was doing music A level, man. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I did music A level for a bit, and then I just stopped halfway through. Yeah, because it. I'm just like I don't. I'm not being funny. I don't give a shit. Do you know what I mean? All I care about is how music sounds. Like I don't really give a shit about the theory. And do you know what I mean? And again, like I was undiagnosed ADHD at these points, so I couldn't fucking pay attention to shit like that. It, it but. Look, if something didn't really capture my attention, it didn't get a fucking look in. And whilst I did music, it was quite an archaic way. I've got no interest in reading music. Absolutely fucking none. I don't need to. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like I yeah. just I just let my fingers do it and whatever sounds good, I do. I've got I don't care about theory. Don't care about theory. And uh, you know, it was it was difficult during my A-levels anyway because I'd just be, I'd become completely obsessed with guitar and I had no interest in, like, finishing the courses, really. And the brilliant thing was that my, my history teacher, uh, Mr. Kennedy, who actually came to... He actually started coming to our shows when we started doing gigs, but he knew. He, he, he knew what was going on. Do you know what I mean? And he, he, he let things slide in terms of me not doing homework and stuff like that because I'm too busy playing guitar. Do you know what I mean? Just yeah. far too busy playing guitar. 
Um, and I think there was another question from someone actually related to the things I were playing at that time and whether I were playing covers and stuff like that. But the thing, the thing that I was doing predominantly was all the records that I was listening to. Do you know what I mean? Be it the Pumpkins or whatever. Um, I was trying to play on the guitar what I was hearing. Do you know what I mean? So I didn't look up any tablature or anything like that. I'd literally just hear it and then play it on guitar. Were you playing Sweet Child of Mine? <laughs> no, I was not. But I was playing stuff like Cherub Rock and that sort of stuff. And, you know, working out Radiohead songs and all sorts of stuff, really. But I think that's kind of what built up my... Um, well, I mean, it, it was just an insatiable need to play at that point in time. And obviously all these bands that I loved, I wanted to be able to play those songs and like just put loads of distortion on. Uh, yeah, I used to love playing Jared Brock. But I mean, yeah, I, it, it didn't take long for me to lose interest in just trying to work out other people's songs before I was um, making my own. Do you know what I mean? Making my own riffs. I mean, even when I only had the acoustic, I was, you know, me and Rob were writing songs. And like I've detailed a few times, me and Rob did music GCSE together. And that's when we started writing a lot of the early stuff that we took to the like really early practices. And I'd go around to Rob's on an evening and just jam and he'd sing. And yeah, man, we, we came up with a lot of stuff uh, just by doing that. But yeah, it, 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 as soon as it became anything to do with the band, that's what, you know, like I was just really interested in effects. And I, I remember at the time, actually, in the village, there were quite a lot of people playing guitar and like comments started to come back to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, shit, he just relies on effects and stuff like <laughs> that. And I, I, I always used to remember thinking like, what the fuck's it got to do with you? You tell you what, you go fucking stand on stage at Davits and fucking fret wank fucking sweet child of mine if you want, my friend. But I couldn't give a shit about that. And I could do that if I wanted, but I had no fucking interest in it. Yeah. Do you no. know what I mean? Like whatever floats anyone's boat is fine. Do you know what I mean? But it's it's like I I just never understood that. It, I, I, there's one thing it's called anyway, it's called fucking jealousy. <laughs> that's what it's called because i've been playing like for, i've been playing like for three months and i was already starting to overtake some of these people do you know what i mean well one, but, one of the things i love is like a lot of bands that are you know are really good a lot of their sound sounds the same uh and because they're like oh well this this was good so let's kind of stay on this same sort of vibe but i yeah. love the i mean if you look at the the music's you know list of eps like there's so many different sounds yeah. you know like from the price to to life you know to all these different jams that were coming out like with these mm. just angry amazing riffs like i would love to understand like how that happened like you just find a riff that you like by looking through channels and hearing a sound and be like all right we're building a song on that um i, I mean no I, I think like i just stumbled across stuff do you know what I mean? Like the, my routine very much was and still is, you know, whether I've got my Kemper here or whether it was my Digitech RP6 or whatever sort of multi-effects processor you have, there's usually, well, there's always like hundreds of preset sounds. So you don't even have to learn how to program the things. You can just literally turn a dial and keep scrolling through all these sounds. And I'd literally go, you, you turn the dials, like hit the guitar, go, no shit, hit the dial, hit the guitar until you know you do that three times you're like oh fuck i like that sound and then i put my fingers on the guitar and start playing and that's what that's where sounds came from do you know oh, what i mean okay. it was 
It was. It wasn't necessarily listening to something and trying to emulate it. it uh, I never really did that, other other than in the early days when I was trying to emulate Pumpkin songs or Fleetwood Mac songs or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I was. It's always been a natural instinct for me that sort of moment of becoming inspired by something and then chasing it all the way through to its conclusion. Because you know, like you mentioned, life. Like, that's just fucking one riff all the way through. It's a great riff. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a great riff, exactly. Exactly, it's a great riff. Um, but apart from apart from the solo bit, the rest of it is all just one thing. And that, that I mean, that was more about delays, that, that sort of great tone with that open D string uh, up on 10th and 11th. Um, that was more about the rhythm and the... the the hypnotic sort of what do you call it the hypnotic repetition of something like that because you know the word repetitive often has negative connotations but when everything else around it grows so much I mean taking life as a case in point like the fucking bass line on that oh yeah like Stu's bass line on that is just fucking insane so like if I stood there and just played life on my own you, you you know you dig it for a bit but then you'd be like all right but yeah when i'm doing that and Stu's doing his bass line and phil's doing that slamming drum beat right. it, do you know what i mean that that's that's where it all comes together um and you know you reference the price and albeit that was much later on but i think i did that on an acoustic came up with that riff on an acoustic and as i say riff for me it's just pure instinct and yeah i like dark riffs and and i always have i've you know what i mean i've always sort of been of that that sort of half melancholy nature almost. Um, and yeah, like that's a, that's a killer. It's just what I do. It's what I've always done. Just come up with relatively simple yet really catchy riffs in my opinion. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah I'd always be using effects to some degree, but that's cause I don't like the sound of a fucking dry guitar. Do you know what I mean? Like it, 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 you don't get that huge. I'm at the top of a mountain playing this vibe which is, you know, in simple terms, that's kind of how I've always heard my guitar, like something much more unearthly rather than just like a guitar. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I was so heavily interested in effects pedals and amalgamating that into the sound because yeah. um, the, just the sound of a dry guitar I found really boring. I mean, fair enough if you just playing some chords as textures and then sort of things. But I mean, you know, I don't know, like, and again, I don't judge anyone, but sometimes you go watch bands and the guitarist is just gently strumming some chords and you're just like, fucking hell, man, how can you be fucking arsed doing that? Yeah. Honestly, do you know what I mean? And that, that sounds like criticism. But it's not, it's just like, oh, I'm glad I don't play like that. <laughs> well, I couldn't play like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I sit there and play fucking chords. It just does no for me. I'm always, I've always been like, let's just put my fingers in weird places and see how it sounds rather than, oh, well, I'll try and play E, no, that don't work. All right, I'll try and play A, no, that don't work. Oh, I'll try and play E, then A, no, that, do you know what I mean? Like, just never interested in that. I was always interested in finding unique chords that captured my imagination uh, and, and, and pushed me through to a conclusion. And it's the same now when I'm writing. 
you know, whether I'm writing on a guitar or, or, or using this MPC with all the, the, the masses of sounds and instruments that's got in it, just anything that captures my imagination in terms of how it sounds and like the, the mental pictures it creates in my mind, which is a good segue into Badlands really, because I'm still doing that now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? the process I went through in the very early days of starting to play guitar and messing with effects pedals to then being in an actual band where all these messing about things I had actually had a platform. As I say, that just became an addiction in terms of finding a great riff with a, a really cool sound and something that didn't just sound like a guitar because I'd never really thought of myself as a guitarist, really. Like, I always just like trying to create sounds and that's why I didn't spend and I still couldn't I could, still couldn't sit down and play your scales and I couldn't give a damn do you know what I mean anyone who anyone who's lost in that sort of shit like fucking hell get real yeah. like yeah do you know I just some people live for that stuff and fair enough but it, it it just did nothing for me just did nothing for me sitting there turgidly learning scales like to what end <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, just put your fingers where it fucking sounds good. Like, yeah. And if you need to strengthen your fingers, there's all sorts of shit you can do to do that. Um, I don't know. Um, I just always saw that as people who not lacked imagination, but that saw a saw a guitar as a one-dimensional instrument, which I never did. I, like, it's hard to explain, really, but I just saw the guitar as a uh, a way to get to creating these big fucking sounds and don't, yeah. and like look, I can be just as happy sat down at a synthesizer that's got a fucking massive preset loaded into it I can be just as happy doing that fair enough that like uh, uh, keyboard and piano keys and the mechanics of playing are a little bit more alien to me but so fucking what so fucking what do you know there's plenty of times where I've gone so guitar I can't be arsed with it and just um, messed about with synths in in the practice room. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I'm not playing guitar at the moment. I can't be bothered. I remember Stu, I remember Stu once turning around to me and going, what, so we're a keyboard band now? <laughs> and that, that like, I, honestly, no criticism of Stu at all, but that blew my mind, that. It was just like, well, what, what, what do you mean? Like, am I forever trapped playing a guitar even at times when it's not inspiring me because as any musician knows or any artist or anyone who uses inspiration to pull push them forward it doesn't last forever yeah. regardless of whatever you're doing and sometimes it can be really fleeting other times it can last quite a while but i've always had that thing in me that's like i need to move away from this for a bit and then when i come back to it it's going to be fresh do you know what I mean? And where I've sort of got my kicks somewhere else, whether it's messing with a synthesizer or messing with sequences and try to come up with really cool sounding sequences, which is what we did on Strength in Numbers. Yeah, Strength in Numbers was, um, well, Strength in Numbers was actually one of those times where I was like, I'm, you can't, because there's only, there's only so much you can do um, in terms of certain sounds and when you become uninspired or not as inspired, things start to sound the same. And I think that third record, I mean, we'll go on to it in another episode, talk about strength in numbers in more detail, because there is a lot more behind that record yeah. than what we have talked about in terms of the, the necessity that led to trying to find a different way of writing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think that record would have happened if me and Rob hadn't started messing with sequences and stuff and just going back to 
kind of going back to the drawing board and starting in a really different way because I, there's only there's only so much you can come up with when you're sort of jamming do you know what i mean and as creative as we were after two albums and starting to become slightly jaded by certain things um i think that was the, the, a big thing that played its part there was us recognizing that we needed to move away from how we were coming up with songs and stuff like that do you know what I mean? So as I say, that resulted in me messing loads with piano, synths, keyboards, all that sort of stuff. Just anything to make a sound that was going to inspire me. And, you know, as as is the case a lot of the time, like if I got inspired about something, it would really inspire the other three. Or, you know, if Rob really got inspired, it would really inspire us three and vice oh, yeah. versa. That, that applied to every one of us. You know what I mean? If Phil got inspired and started knocking out some beat that were just unreal, you know, we'd all be on it, sort of coming from stone cold, like, oh, I can't be asked. Suddenly, like, oh, my God, I'm alive again. Do you know what I mean? It, it's, it's, I mean, inspiration, as much as I talk about the bipolar health scale, uh, inspiration is exactly the same. Well, honestly, I think if you were formally trained, it probably would have, <laughs> it probably would have derailed you because, you know, I think you were more exactly. of a creative person in search of sounds, you know, whether it was, you know, a keyboard, a guitar player, just searching, searching for sounds that sound good. And so I think, honestly, if you would have been classically trained, it probably would have been a detriment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I jacked in music A level. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was just like, this just, this isn't what I'm about. I don't need to break music down to this level of theory and, and understand all this stuff. And you've, you've hit the nail on the head perfectly. Not being classically trained, it worked for what, I wanted to do and what we wanted to do. Do you know what I mean? And it will have helped create, you know, because when you're classically trained, you follow a pattern and you follow yeah. a theory and it's like, well, I can't do that. It's like, fuck that. I fucking do what I want. Fuck there are off. rules. Just, there are protocols. Exactly. <laughs> there are not. There are no rules here. And that's exactly, that's exactly why I use that matrix sample. You know what I mean? Um, uh, for the music. No rules, no borders, no boundaries. Yeah. That was the that was the whole thing I wanted to put across with that intro. Do you know what I mean? A world without rules, borders, or boundaries. I can't remember the exact quote, but yeah, man, that completely speaks to what we were trying to do, or certainly what I was trying to do. Do you know what I mean? Certainly the the the, the, the way I was coming from it, and and that fo that followed through into us doing fucking seven minute instrumentals and and all that <laughs> sort of shit. Do you know what I mean? And the, 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 there was nothing to follow other than our own ideas and inspirations. Do you know what I mean? And, and a lot of the time they'd sort of sort themselves out anyway. Um, the one thing I did want to sort of sort of finish on really was, well, I say finish, I, just, I, don't, want this, I don't want this episode to be too long, but you, there's all sorts of different tunes to talk. I mean, Long Road, Long Road was, that came out of the Zoom 8080. That was another one where that sort of bound that auto wire sound because yeah you got wire pedals but an auto wire touch wire is a very different thing because it, it it um it works off the direct attack rather than you doing it with your foot but that's another that's another point like long road wouldn't have been what it was if that was just like a a cleanish generic guitar tone it just fucking wouldn't have sounded anything like it eventually did and like right. especially the the first version well even the second version but that brings me on nicely to the the thing i discovered that completely revolutionized again my sound and i discovered it just as we were really becoming the music and that was an electro harmonics micro synth 
that that's the thing that that and I've still got them and I still use them in the same way. And those things can fucking do anything. Do you know what I mean? Like you've got a load of real time uh, faders that you can effectively pull up and down. And I didn't know what any of them bloody did. And I still don't. And I don't care. Do you know what I mean? All I know <laughs> is when I when I move one, whether I like it or not. Right. Do you know what I mean? And that's where the people came from. And again, that's another fantastic for all these people like, oh, it just relies on effects. You try and fucking play the people without that micro synth sound. It just, it won't sound anything like it. Right. Do you know what I mean? It just won't have that same, that same ring to it. And, you know, I, and you can use micro synths for like really heavy sub octave distortions, all sorts of different sounds. Like, and I used to, I ended up with a few of them because I used them on different songs and I got sick of, getting down on floor and having to move alt faders to the right point um, because there were little markings all over it and it was like, right, so that's that song and that's that song. In the end, I was just like, fuck that, I need more of these. And I had like three of them in a row all set up uh, to do different things. And yeah, it's just a prime example of how effects really played a huge role in my playing and coming up with a riff and stuff. Because as I've just said, a lot of my riffs if you take the fundamental effects away from them, sound a bit shit, a bit boring. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? But I was never prepared to just sound like any other guitarist. And that I don't think that was willful. It was just instinct. You know, it, it wasn't like I was stubbornly going, no, I don't want to sound like anyone else. That wasn't a conscious thing. I was. It was conscious that I was trying to find what I liked, but that was never fueled by trying to push back against anything. Do you know what I mean? Or maybe maybe it was to a degree because as I've as I've said many times, like bands like the Stereophonics and that were massive then, and that's all just like um, you know straight up guitar tones, which is fine. Don't get me wrong; it suits that music. But that's that's maybe something that I was pushing against. Maybe that sort of well, I don't know what I'd refer to as more of a pedestrian sound, and that is no disrespect to the Stereophonics at all. I don't like doing that anyway. Do you know what I mean? Sort of slagging bands off and going, I oh, don't like them, they're shit. I yeah. fucking really love, really like the Stereophonics back in the day. I just used them as a bit of a barometer in terms of, well, these guys are massive and our music's more exciting than this. Do you know what I mean? And But it was, yeah, so maybe maybe the, like, the way I was using effects was sort of slightly trying to be different i don't know it's difficult to sort of jump back into my conscious mind back then if you know what i mean but yeah i am con i, I am conscious of the fact that this episode is um probably going to be quite long so we should maybe leave it there for now on that one but i think i've given a bit of an insight into into what what inspired me to pick up a guitar you know dan Aykroyd and his his sunburst epiphone and his zoom 505 i've got a lot to answer for in terms of shaping my desire to to do that myself and to take it to another level do you know what i mean yeah yeah and it's interesting because a lot of the the excitement that i had back then um that was somewhat lost towards the middle and the end of the music it's something that i've got back now do you know what i mean um through making this record and going through all that same oh yeah that fucking sounds ace and i love it having the ability having the ability nowadays to just record it straight away and yeah man made a i made a full record out of it and i can't wait for people to hear it and can't wait to play this gig and i'm really hoping as well that if this gig goes well which i think it is because i tell you what rehearsals are sounding insane honestly the more i'm practicing this yeah 
when I first started practicing practicing it, I thought, oh Christ, you know what I mean? I've got a lot of because I I I need to get that instinctive muscle and brain memory that I have with the music stuff, which I've played hundreds of times and had chance to refine. That's what I'm doing now with this. And like I said before, there are going to be when you do hear the record, the live version, it's going to be slightly different. But that's just because I've had more time to refine things and live with things and try and work out bigger ways of doing the same thing, which is effectively what I've been doing. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to the gig and I really hope to see a lot of you there. Um, but that is going to do it for this episode. But as I say, I've been a lot more inspired at the moment and there'll be more weekly episodes to come. Definitely. I've got a lot of ideas for podcasts now. And there was a period of time where I was like, what am I going to talk about? Don't just want to keep talking about the music, but you know what I mean? It's, it's something that I love and it, it's part of my history and my heritage and it's responsible for where I am now, man. So I've I've got no problem diving diving deeper into into things that we've touched on, and you know, telling more sort of real life stories that are, that are attached to these things that people might be interested in. So yeah, um, that's going to do it for this episode. But yeah, thank you very much for everyone to, for listening. And I will say, if you've noticed a change in the quality of my voice, I do apologise for that. Uh, having a few internet issues in the new flat that I'm in. Um, but, you know, such is life. I'm not going to let that get in the way. Uh, you'll just have to forgive me for anything that you hear that sounds a little bit unusual because I know we have had a good track record of audio quality. And that's something I want to keep going forward. Um, but you can't win them all. The internet here, if if he was a person, I'd drag him outside and slap him around like a balloon. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he's not, so there's no I can do about it right now. But yeah, uh, thank you very much everyone for listening and yeah i hope to see as many of you as i can um at the lead show and i don't want to say too much but i'd like to do more i'm getting to the point now where i'm doing these rehearsals they're going that well i want to do more shows but yeah that'll do for now so thanks as usual to the prom king Pete fletcher and thank you to all you lot for listening thanks very much that was great man.